Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, what is up, Emmanuel Church? How you feeling today? I hope that you are fired up today. I hope that you are ready to hear something that you're going to take and put into action in your life. Can we give it up right now for all of our first-time guests, whether you're joining us at Banta, Franklin, Garfield Park, online, GP, Seymour, Greenwood, we want to welcome you. Thanks for accepting someone's invitation and being here. They believe that you're going to be blessed by what's going on here. And if you're not brand new, you're a second-time attender or you've been here for 10 years, welcome back. Last week, we started a series called Not a Fan. This series came from a conversation that I had with some other pastors in the area here, Pastor Mike Wigan from City Life Church, Pastor Matt Giebler from Greenwood Christian Church. We said, man, wouldn't it be awesome to kind of start 2022 like on the same page, all three churches preaching the same content? And we started talking about this book called Not a Fan that was written by a pastor down in Louisville, Kentucky, small church down there. Uh, You may have heard of it, uh, about 25,000 people. The book has done phenomenal. It's sold over a million copies. And we were like, man, we've all read this book. It's great content. Let's pull some stories. Let's pull some content out of it and preach a series and all get on the same page. And man, that's how we got here today. And so right now, at this time, those churches are preaching very similar messages and we're kind of all starting the year together. Kind of fun. Never done that before. And so I love this book because what Eidelman does is he puts his finger on a problem I believe that many people of faith had and if you, or have. And if you were here last week, you saw it, you heard it. I wrote it like this in your notes. Many people today think that they're followers of Jesus, but they're actually just fans. They're actually just fans. What's the difference between a fan and a player or a fan who's somebody's actually in the game or a fan and a follower? Well, fans tend to have all the gear and all the t-shirts and they have all the, you know, the whatever, the paraphernalia, <laughs> and, and, but they're not actually paying the price. They're not actually sweating and doing the drills and and practicing and sometimes bleeding. They don't have the bruises. They've not paid the price like the players have, like the musicians have, like your favorite actor has or whatever or whoever you're a fan of. Fans tend to have this issue of being committed or actually, you know, staying committed. They're all excited when their team is doing great. And then when their team doesn't do so great, they kind of fade into the background. They might even jump ship and become a fan of a different band or a different player or a different team. Now, not all fans are like that. I understand that some of you that are really committed, you're, you're going to be there through thick and thin. But a lot of fans are simply uncommitted. Fans are, in the, are on the stands and they're cheering from the safety of the bleachers. They're cheering from the, from, from the stands. Players are on the field and they're paying the price and they're playing in the game. Fans do not belong on the field. In fact, have you ever seen some of those videos where the fans actually run out on the field? You ever seen one of those? 
couple years ago, a Boston Red Sox fan, I don't know if this is a Boston Red Sox fan thing or not, but he decided it'd be fun to run onto the game during the game. Check out this short video. do not belong on the field. And here's the thing, if you start going through YouTube, there's dozens and dozens of these videos that show, you know, fans getting tackled and pulled off the field because that's not, that's not where they belong. The players belong on the field. Here's the thing about the Bible. When I've read it, you've, some of you have read it, <clears throat> I never see Jesus invite anyone to become a fan, ever. The only invitation Jesus ever gave was for people to become players, followers, to engage in the mission. He would say, come follow me, be with me. Let's make disciples together. Let's advance the kingdom of God together. That is the option, that is the invitation. And when we get this wrong, we're really gambling with our soul. Like if we live our life and we go through our life as fans and we're not really followers, we might just lose our very soul. And in fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was speaking to a group of people. This is part of the sermon that's often not quoted. A lot of, people, a lot of times people go through the Beatitudes and that's a great part of it. They leave out this section in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, because it's very uncomfortable. This is what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says to me, I'm on the team, coach, put me in. Not everyone who says, I'm on the team, I'm a player, is actually on the team. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter into heaven. To which Jesus then says, on judgment day, there's gonna be a group of people that say, but wait a second, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do miracles in your name? And then verse 23, Jesus is gonna say this. But I will reply, I never, say it with me, knew you. Because you thought you were in the game. You thought you were a follower, but you were only a fan. I don't want that for you and I don't want that for myself. This is a massively important series because some of you have been deceived into thinking that you're on the team, but you're only a fan. And I'm actually pretty excited for you because you're gonna get clarity and you're gonna learn not only who you are, that you are a fan, but how to move from being a fan to a follower. We talked last week about <clears throat> this issue, <clears throat> excuse me, why Jesus has so many fans. We said a lot of times people get confused about faith, what faith actually is, what biblical faith is. We think that it's mental assent or verbal acknowledgement or agreement with a set of facts about Jesus. But it's much more than that. And the reason that we know it's much more than that is because the devil has faith, but his faith doesn't save him. Do you believe that the devil knows who Jesus is, that he believes that Jesus is the son of God, yes or no? He probably knows it more than you do, but yet his faith is not going to save him. There is a type of faith that doesn't save. Now, I, I, I have to admit, there are many of you who were confused about last week's sermon. 
And you're like, man, I don't understand. I thought, I thought all I needed to do was believe and then I was in. And, and yes, it is true that we are saved by faith alone and you can never earn God's forgiveness or salvation. However, when you actually do believe, it means much more than verbal assent ment or mental assent, verbal acknowledgement or agreement with a set of facts. It is a decision to follow Jesus. Martin Luther, the famous theologian, the German theologian said it like this. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. That's why James said faith without works is dead. Saving faith produces change in your life. Not perfection. Not perfection, but progress. We are saved by faith alone. You can never earn God's grace, but the faith that saves always produces change in your life. Now, I can't re-preach last week's sermon. I'm tempted to, but I'm not going to. That was last week. Today, I want to talk about another reason why Jesus has a lot of fans. Michael Jordan is uh, my favorite player. Many of you know that. I'm wearing his shoes today. These are special shoes. These are Jordan 11s. Uh, next time I take these out of the box, it'll be at one of my kids' weddings, so it's a very special day today. <clears throat> they are my favorite. Did I just say that? Favorite pair of Jordans. Um, I know a lot about Jordan. Jordan, Michael Jordan, if you don't know, <laughs> let me tell you about Mike. In 1986-87, he averaged 37 points a game for the whole season. Now, the only player to average more points per game ever in the history of the NBA was Wilt Chamberlain, but he had a little bit of an advantage. He was seven foot one, and they just threw the ball into him. He turned around and dunked it, okay? Jordan was a guard and a shooter and a driver and all that stuff, 37 points per game. Michael Jordan is the only player, mark my words, only player to ever win Defensive Player of the Year, best player on this side of the court, and then also average 30 points a game on the offensive side of the court. The only player in history to do that. <laughs> 31 times Michael Jordan scored over 50 points in one game. 31 times. He did it one time when he was 38. 38 years old, he scored 50 points in an NBA basketball game. You know how many 50-point games LeBron James has? 12. 12. Michael Jordan has six rings, count them, one, two, three, four, five, six rings, six ring champ, six championships, but everybody knows that. What we don't know is that during those six championship seasons, he only missed six games. One game, is, they play 82 games a season, he played 81, 81, 81, 81, 81, 81. He only missed six games in six years. You know how many games LeBron misses every year? Uh, do you know? 15 per year, because he's got to rest his body. I understand. These new players these days, they're soft. That's right. Have you ever seen, did you ever see Michael Jordan fake being fouled? Ever? No. LeBron's, oh, oh. Anyway, 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 anyway. I'm getting way off script here. Jordan's got five MVPs. He's got two Olympic championships. He enjoys cigars way too much. He likes to gamble maybe a little bit too much. He's been divorced. He's got three kids, two boys and a girl. I can go on about Michael. I know a lot about him. But I don't know him. My fear 
My concern as I read the scriptures is that a lot of people are in that situation with God. You can quote verses and talk about God, share your information, what you learned about the book of Revelation or this or that, but you don't know him. See, the Eidelman puts his finger on it and he says it like this in the book. We have confused knowledge about God with intimacy with him. I have zero intimacy with Michael Jordan. Meaning, you know, personal relationship. Zero. He didn't text me. I wish he would. I'm like, yo, D, uh, you want to grab some lunch? You know, hadn't happened yet. If you have, you know his number, send him my contact. I mean, I'd love that. But I don't, I don't know him. I don't know if he likes peanut butter. I don't know if he likes chicken. Because that would require a relationship. I don't know. If this is the only thing you grab today, make sure you grab this next statement. Knowledge does not equal intimacy. Now, to be clear, when you have intimacy, there is knowledge. The knowledge is a byproduct of the intimacy. For example, I have tremendous knowledge of my wife. She's here today. I know what she likes, what she doesn't like. I know how she likes her steak cooked. I know what her hopes are for our future together as a married couple. I know what her fears are about our children, what her hopes are for our kids. I have lots of knowledge about my wife, but that knowledge has been a byproduct of our intimacy. Does that make sense? On the other hand, knowledge, lots of knowledge, does not equal intimacy. Eidelman says it like this in the book. He says, when there's knowledge without intimacy, you're really no more than a fan. In fact, I would go even further, and he doesn't say this in the book, but I would, I'll take it a step further. Not only does knowledge not equal intimacy, knowledge is actually damaging or can be damaging when it comes to the spiritual life. You say, what are you talking about? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, listen to what Paul says. The apostle Paul wrote these words. Knowledge puffs, say it with me, up. What does that mean? Knowledge makes one or has the potential to make one conceited, arrogant, a know-it-all, self-righteous. Do you know anybody like this? The worst kind of arrogant people are spiritually arrogant people because they just look down on others in judgment. I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. I know more than you. Some of the most arrogant, self-righteous, conceited people are pastors, because they fall into this trap of, well, I've, I've studied it and I know and I, I know cover to cover and I can explain predestination versus free will and Arminianism versus Calvinism and blah, 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 blah. Did you know that I can get up here and give you a lecture on predestination versus Arminianism? Did you know I can do that? But what good would it do? You'd probably think, man, he's really smart. Ah, we're on to something there. Let me let you know a little secret that pastors have. They secretly want you to think that they're really smart because it puffs them up. Where did all this come from, this, 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 this desire to learn more and, I, and to come to church and want to hear something you've never heard before and from the pastor's mouth like, and then walk out and go, oh my gosh, I never knew that about God and I never knew that about the Bible. Where does it all come from? I think it comes from the church. I think it's our problem. I think it's my problem. I think preachers, priests, 
men of the cloth <laughs> have created this culture. If you go back in church history, all church history, all the way to England, 1785. You know what started in 1785? This thing called Sunday school. And, and the reason why it started in 1785 in England was because there was no educational system for that. So, so the hour before church, they would bring the kids in and, and a lot of adults as well, and they would teach them reading and writing and basic math. They would literally have church uh, school in church before church service. And they would also teach them the Bible as well. Well, then England came up with a national educational system and they went away from teaching, reading, writing, math in, in church and they just focused on teaching the Bible, but it was a school. Sunday school. How many of you grew up going to Sunday school? Look at the hands, look at the hands. Look at all of our campuses, look, look around. Sunday school. Now as a boy, when my mom would try to bring us to church, when she brought us to church, she said, let's go to Sunday school. I wanted to die. I'm like, Mom, we go to school all week. I don't want to go to school on the weekend. The weekend's supposed to be fun. Skip right bring me to Sunday school. We're going to sit down again, again for an hour and listen to somebody teach something. I don't care what it is. I don't want to learn anymore. No more learning. No more school. Sorry, teachers. You guys are great, but no more school. The weekends are free. Sunday school. And then the pastors kind of... Priests, pastors, clergymen, whatever you want to call them, they, you know, they, 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 they kind of take this vibe of Sunday school and turn their sermon into a lecture. Instead of preaching something that would change somebody's life, now their goal is to teach through a book of the Bible. Let me educate you on, on the, what the book of Acts says from start to finish and what the book of Revelation says and so you can be able to explain what the seven bowls mean and the seven lamps mean and blah, 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 blah from the book of Revelation. And then everybody walks out and says, man, our pastor's so smart. Education, education, education. The focus, learning, learning, learning. But that's not what Christ came to do. That's not what the mission of the church is. The mission of the church is to turn you into a little Christ. The mission of the church is, or the purpose of preaching, the purpose of the church, the local church, is to change you into the person that God made you to be. It's not education, it's transformation, amen? Let me say that again. It's not education, it's transformation. Amen? That's the vision. That's why Christ came, to help us to repent, to turn from our wickedness and to step into righteousness. And if the sermons are not doing that for people, we've missed the whole point. We're like those people in 2 Timothy that Paul talked about, always learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Some people, many people have left our church and here's what they've said. Pastor Danny's sermons are not deep enough. Here's what they're talking about. When I go to church, I don't learn anything new. Sure, he challenges me to change my life, but I don't want that. I just want to learn something new that I've never heard before. See ya. See ya. How about you forgive those who've wounded you? Oh, you put it like that. I don't really want to forgive. I just want to learn. Learn, 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 learn. Teach me verse by verse through the Bible. See ya. Bye. Because the purpose of my sermon is not to educate you, it's to help you change. You with me, yes or no? This is very, very important stuff. Knowledge about God does not equal intimacy with God. How do we move away from this nonsense? How do we move from fan to follower when it comes from knowledge and intimacy? Well, it's a simple answer, but it's not easy to do. 
We have to make it our aim or make it our goal, the top priority of our life to know Jesus, not to know about him, not to know how many miracles he did and how many blind people he healed and how many people he raised from the dead or how many, what it is. no, not to know about him. Yes, along the lines, you're gonna learn about him because that's the byproduct of intimacy. But the goal is not to know about him. It's not to know about Michael Jordan. It's to know Jesus. Listen to Paul, former Pharisee. Listen to his heart, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. I want to know Christ. I want to know him and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know Christ. This word know is an interesting Greek word. Now, I'm about to do some educating here, but it's for the purpose of transformation, okay? I'm about to download some knowledge to you, but the purpose is for you to change, not to make you smarter. The word gnosko, the word know here is this word, Greek word gnosko, and it means to know through personal experience. That's what the Greek word, the original language, the word that God gave the Holy Spirit to Paul to write down is gnosko, to know through personal experience. It's the same word that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, when he says, I never knew you. I never gnoskoed you. We weren't in a personal relationship. You thought you were in, but you were just a fan. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I don't want to know about him. I don't want to be able to explain his miracles. I don't want to be able to explain his resurrection. I don't want to be able to explain his virgin birth. I want to know his heart. Gnosko. When the angel told Mary that she was going to be pregnant and give birth to a baby, and they were going to name that baby Jesus because he's going to save the world from their sins, she responds back to the angel, and in all the new translations of the Bible, NLT, NIV, you name it, that all, they all say this. Mary said to the angel, how can this take place since I am a virgin? All right? Here's what's interesting. That word virgin is not in the text. It's implied. It's what the word means. But you want to know what the literal translation is? we got to go back to the King James Version. Anybody still read the King James Version? We got to go back to the KJV to find out what the literal word, the, the literal word was. And watch this. K, KJV, Luke 134. Then Mary said unto the angel, how shall this be? Don't you love KJV? Shall that, you know, fun, fun stuff. How shall this be? How can I be pregnant? Seeing that I, watch this, no, not a man. That's the literal translation. You want to know what word that is? What word is it? You tell me. Gnosko. Gnosko. Luke, the doctor who wrote the, the gospel of Luke, uses the same word that Paul used in Philippians 3.10. I want to gnosko Christ, which is the same word that Jesus used in Matthew 7.23. I never gnoskoed you. What does the word mean? It means to know through personal experience. Luke uses the same word to describe the most intimate experience between a man and a woman, sexual intimacy. Mary says, how can I be pregnant? I've never gnoskoed a man. You with me? Paul says, I want to gnosko Christ. I want to know him intimately. Jesus says, I never gnoskoed you. Are you getting the point here? The point is not to know a lot about God. The point is to know God through personal experience. 
And a lot of us have confused knowledge about God with intimacy with God. And that makes us fans, not followers. There's a group of people in the New Testament called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were the religious leaders of the day. They were also the political leaders of the day. They were responsible for taking the Torah and teaching it to the people. They were experts in theology. They can take all 614 laws of the Old Testament and teach them to the people. That many of them had the entire Torah memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all five books memorized. Can you imagine? These guys knew about God. But listen to what Jesus said about them in Matthew 15, verse 8, quoting Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. These people honor me with their lips. They talk a big game. They get up, they preach the sermons. They teach the people. But their, say with me, their, their hearts are far from me. I'm here, you to tell, I'm here to tell you today, and I hope you're listening It's possible for you to say the books of the Bible out loud by heart, quote this verse, understand what the seven bowls mean in the book of Revelation. It's possible for you to understand all the deep thoughts about God from the Old Testament and still not know his heart. You know who's in the most danger of this? Me. Pastors, because we're responsible to know a lot about God and to read and to study. Everybody's at, at risk. You are as well. We have to fight against this, this reality that we can be confused about knowledge and intimacy. So here's how I do it, and I'm just going to share this with you. Um, this is not a sermon. This is just what I do. You can try it. You cannot try it. You can tune out, shut me off. But this is how I fight against this temptation to settle in with my head knowledge about God. You ready? I'm just going to give you two thoughts. This is how I try to know the heart of God. I set apart prioritized time with him. If you want to know God, you must have daily prioritized time with him. Not only do you have to make it the aim of your life to know him, you actually have to schedule a meeting with him. Literally a meeting with God. Billy Graham wrote a book called The Journey, and many of you know who Billy is. He's got a fantastic quote. I wanted to read it to you. He said, think of human friendship. How do we grow closer to someone on a human level? The most important way is by spending time with them, talking with them, listening to them, sharing your concerns with each other, and even helping each other when you need help. And the same is true with God. You get to know the heart of God by spending time with him. Then he says this, every day has 1,440 minutes. If we cannot find 10 minutes each day to spend time with the one who saved us from our past past sins, we will, say it with me, never... We will never experience, we will never arrive at the life that God has planned for us, the life that God wants for you. And what kind of life is that? It is a life filled with peace. It is a life filled with joy and meaning and supernatural strength. It is a life where you're empowered to overcome anxiety and fear and to push through difficult times because you have have supernatural power with you. You can never experience that life without 
knowing Christ. You can know a lot about God, but you'll miss the life that God has planned for you. Years ago, when I was a young follower of Christ, I was reading through the New Testament, the book of Mark, and I came across this passage that changed my life. Jesus had had a very, very busy day of ministry the prior day. He was healing people. He was casting out demons. He was doing all kinds of awesome stuff. Then he even went to Peter's house because Peter's mom was sick, and and he stopped by. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. Then he goes to sleep, and watch what happens the very next day. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, it's important, before the kids get up, you know what I'm talking about? Because once, once they get up, it's all over. Like the whole thing, just, it's just done. It's just done. Very early in the morning, before the disciples got up, while it was still dark, before the sun got up, Jesus got up. He woke up. He didn't hit the snooze button. He didn't have a snooze problem. Some of you know what I'm talking about? You say, how does he know? Because <laughs> I have a snooze button too. He got up. He left the house and he went off to a solitary place. Why would he do that? Cut out all the distractions. See, Jesus always had people pulling on him, trying to touch him, trying to grab him, trying to, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? Hey, my brother's sick. My brother's just tuck, tuck, tuck. Jesus Jesus was like a a stay-at-home mom, okay? That's literally what his life was like. But he went off to a solitary place and what did he do there? He talked to his father. And he listened to his father. So years ago when I read this, I was like, wow. If Jesus, who had no sinful nature, who was perfect in every way, not that he didn't have problems, he had problems, he just didn't have problems from the inside. Spent time with his heavenly father. And here I am, I've got pride, selfishness, I've got all kinds of depraved thoughts, lustful stuff going on. I've got issues. Anybody else have issues? And I'm decrepit, and, and I've got issues. And, I, and, I, and, and if, if he spent time with God, how much more do I need to spend time with God? My life changed. I said, I'll never, I'll never, I'll never not do that. I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to spend time. I need to know God. Because without him, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Somebody said it to me, to me like this one time. They said, what if the president of the United States came to you, not, not the current one and not the previous one, just the office, just, just think office. <laughs> Don't get hung up, you'll miss the point of this illustration. <laughs> what if the president came to you and said, hey, every morning around 5.30, I'd like to meet with you and just, and just debrief and just go over the day. I'd like to know what your schedule is. I'm gonna show you my schedule and then we're gonna try to sync them up. Would you miss that meeting? I was like, heck no, that'd be amazing. I'd never miss that meeting. You know, shows up in the helicopter, lands on the front lawn every morning. I'd get up no matter what. Would you get up no matter what? You're like, no, I hate the president. No, I'm not talking about the current one (laughs) or the last one, just the president. You would not miss that meeting. And we're not talking about the president here. We're talking about the creator of the heavens and the earth. President is small potatoes. The president is peanuts. The God of the universe says, hey, every morning around 5.30, 
I want to meet with you. I want to go over your day. I want to show you my heart and what I want. And then we're going to try to sync this thing up. Would you miss that meeting? This is what the gentleman said to me. I said, never. I will never miss that meeting. And I never miss that meeting. I just don't. You say, even on vacation, especially on vacation. Even when you got to get up at four o'clock to catch a flight. Even when I got to get up at four to catch a flight. Some people say to me when I ask them about their time with God, oh, I'm just, I've got to be at work at five. It's so hard. Do you know who wants to meet with you? You obviously don't because you're blowing, you're ghosting God. He called for a meeting. You said, no, you're busy. You're tired. Really? That's fan language. When, when you look at someone and you say, hey, I don't really have time to read the Bible and pray. You're a fan. Because you're not understanding what it takes to be on the field. The, the coach wants to talk through the day and the plays. And, the, and since you're not a player, you miss the meeting. Making sense, yes or no? You have to set apart scheduled time with them. Number two, not only that, you got to stay with them through the day. You can't partmentalize Jesus. Oh, did my little quiet time, a little devotion. Now, Jesus, you stay there. I'm going to go run the day. <laughs> I'm going to do things my way. No, we got to stay with him throughout the whole day. We got to be with God 24 7. Listen to what Jesus taught it in John chapter 15. This is what Jesus said Abide in me. This word means to remain as I in you. As the branch remains or the branch cannot bear fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you remain and abide in me. Yes, you have to have a specialized time with God but then you have to learn to practice his presence all day, every day. This is what Paul talked about when he said, pray without ceasing. I love the way King David explained it. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Psalm 16, verse eight and nine. Listen to what he said. I have set the Lord always before me. In every situation, I've set the Lord right before me. What does it mean to set something before you? Well, you know what it means because you all have a cell phone. And you freak out when you misplace it, <laughs> as I do myself. To set my phone before me is to put it at my right hand. Why? Because I can grab it and check Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat. And I don't do all that stuff, but I like texting. <laughs> so my right hand, it's right there. It's available. David says, I've set the Lord always before me, 24-7, not just in a devotional time, but my whole life. Because he's at my right hand, look at the results. I will not be, say it with me, shaken. How many people today are freaking out all the time, overwhelmed with anxiety, overwhelmed with fear, overwhelmed with worry, overwhelmed, so, so shaky in their life? You want to know what the answer to anxiety is? Practicing the presence of God. Every day, setting the Lord before you. This is what uh, David was saying in Psalm 23, and some of you have this verse memorized, Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What is he saying? I will not be shaken because God is with me 24-7. And that banishes the fear, and it chases away the anxiety, and it chases away the worry in my life. This is a practice. You have to get good at this to take God with you 
I learned this many, many years ago from a book called Practicing His Presence. Every serious Christian needs to read this book and reread this book. It'll take you from being a fan to a follower in the first reading. Because it puts you on the field. It puts you in the action. Now you're talking to the coach. You're like the quarterback. You're checking in and he's telling you what play to run. And you're like, okay. And then you run the play. Next play, you're checking in with the coach. You're talking to the team. You're taking the ball up the field. You're talking to God. You're not on the stands. You're not cheering with sneakers on. Go team, go team. You're like, no, give me the ball. Pass it over here. Practicing the presence of God. Brother Lawrence, Frank Laubach. Powerful, powerful book. He taught me how to set the Lord before me always. Look at verse nine. Therefore, my heart is glad. Why? Because I have the Lord at my right hand. And my whole being rejoices and my flesh and my body dwells secure. That is the life God has for you. A life where your, your heart is glad and your whole being, mind, soul, body is rejoicing and your body is dwelling in security and safety, not fear, not anxiety. Why? Because God is with you. Is this making sense? Amen. If you're going to clap, clap. Amen. <clears throat> How do we move from fan to follower? We make it our aim to know Christ. We set apart time to meet with him. And we take him through our day. We pray without ceasing. We set him before us. Let me ask you a tough question today. This series is filled with tough questions. Do you know Jesus or do you know about Jesus or do you know him? Are you like me and Michael? I could tell you a lot about him, but I don't know him. I don't know where he is today. Don't know what he's doing. Don't know what his hopes are. I don't know what his dreams are. I don't know what the next 10 years he's trying to accomplish. I don't know what his plans are. I know what he's done in the past because you can study it like you study the Bible. I've noticed that a lot of Christians today, they're like, Pastor Danny, how come, how come we don't do Bible studies at this church? I want to study the Bible. What are we really saying? Do you want to learn a lot about God or do you want to know his heart? What he wants, what he's like, what he's up to, what he cares about, what breaks his heart, what, is, what are his hopes? You know God is a person. Changed my life. The A.W. Tozer taught me that many, many years ago. God is a person. He has hopes, he has dreams, he has wants, desires. Things hurt his heart, things grieve his heart, things make his heart excited. I'm like, wow, I want to know. And I made a decision in my heart many, many years ago. I, I don't want to know about God. I want to know God. How about you? One of the one, most wonderful things about God, it's knowledge, but, but you know, it, it's, it's knowledge that produces change, is that when you really open up his heart, and I kind of talked about this in a series we did a couple of months ago, when you open up God's heart and you look at the center of his being, what you're going to find is mercy. Mercy. What you're going to find is love. And that love is designed to capture your heart and woo you in almost into a, a divine romance. Listen to these provocative words from Jesus. John chapter 17, it's like they accidentally slip out of his mouth as he's praying. John 17 verse 3. 
This is the way to be with me, my translation. This is the way to have eternal life now, before you die, and after you die in the future. Because eternal life starts now. We don't die once we have faith in Christ. We die physically, not spiritually. This is the way to have eternal life. And then look what he says. To know you. What word do you think that is? Gnosko. Gnosko. To know you. To know you through personal experience. That's the invitation that God gives. Not to pray a prayer so that you can have your sins forgiven and go to heaven when you die. A little fire insurance, as they call it. <laughs> but to know God. To know his heart. To know the only true God in Jesus Christ. The one he sent to earth. God made a way for you to know him. And in that way, Jesus, he also revealed his heart and what he's like. And his heart is love. See, in order for you to know God, God had to deal with your sin. And he dealt with your sin by having Christ pay the price for it. He had Jesus die for you. Now, I've got three kids. I would never, let me repeat that, never, ever have one of my kids die for any one of you. Ever. Not even a chance, even if you are great people. And here's God saying, I'm going to have my son, my only son, die for you. Wow. When that hit me, when I was 18 years old, I was like, man, that's, he knows everything I've ever done, all the sins I've ever committed, and he still had Christ die for me. Like, I, I, I'm in. I received that. I want that. Maybe today is your day. Maybe today you sense that, that tugging, that pulling. Not to go to heaven when you die, but to know God through Christ. If that's you, I'm going to say a simple prayer. This moment is your moment. Be courageous. Step into it. This moment is designed for you, and you know who you are. Take these words, make them your own, and trust Christ today. Will you pray with me? Just say this to him. Dear Jesus, thank you for laying your life down for me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Today I receive your love. I ask you to cleanse me, to wash me, to fill me with your spirit. I want to know your heart, and your heart is love. Your heart is mercy. And I receive that today. Change my life. I repent of my sin. I turn to you. I put my hope in you. I trust in you. And from this day forward, help me to make it my aim, make it my goal to know you. Not to know about you, not to fill my head with knowledge, but to walk with you and talk with you. To listen to you. To share my heart with you and to know your heart for me and for this world. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God glory, church? Amen. Come on, nice and loud. If you just prayed that prayer, we'd love to get you started on your journey with Christ. We put a little box together. We call it our saved box. You can text the word saved to 65248. Grab one of these at the information desk at your campus. 
or give us a little bit more information. If you're watching online, we'll send one of these to you in the mail. There's a Bible in here we'd love with a reading plan, information about baptism, small group, and also a coffee mug to say congratulations. One more time, church. Can we give God glory? Amen. At this time, at this time, we're going to dismiss to our local teams. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week. Bring a friend.